Uh, we've recently been away for a couple of days as elders. Uh, this is something we do twice a year uh, in the autumn as eldership couples uh, together with our three site teams and last week uh, as the elders and trustees. If you don't know, our trustees are Christina Tucker, Nick Todd, Sarah Evans, Sam DL and Rachel Don Davis. Uh, we went uh, as trustees and elders together to Lenchwood in the Midlands uh, where uh, Encounter Camp happens each summer um, and it was really good for us to spend time together, pray, hear from God and reflect on where we're at and how God is leading us. We have uh, increasing faith about how God is moving us forward in our vision of helping Bristol believe uh, and we'll take opportunities later in the year to uh, do things like give an update on our five-year goals. Today we're continuing our series in Mark. Andy spoke last week about some of the key questions that Mark raises in his gospel account. Uh, critical questions like who is Jesus and what is the kingdom of God? Today we're going to look at an amazing account in the life of Jesus that demonstrates the power of his kingdom. But before we read that passage, uh, I want to make a couple of comments. In our society, we are preoccupied and mainly focus on the physical world. We struggle to believe in anything that we can't see or touch, but there is a spiritual reality. And the passage that we're going to read in a while uh, in Mark's Gospel shows the reality of a spiritual realm where there are good and evil spirits. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6 verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against one another, um, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. By and large, people don't think about or believe in uh, the spiritual world or the reality of evil spiritual forces. But actually, that's not the case in much of the world. Many other cultures live with a much greater awareness of how the spiritual and physical worlds intersect, how the spiritual affects the physical world and vice versa. Sometimes uh, in our own lives, our bodies tell the stories of what is going on in our hearts, minds and spirits. In other words, something that is affecting us mentally or spiritually uh, or emotionally can manifest in some kind of physical symptom or illness. That's not to say that all illness has a spiritual root, but they can often be linked. So, for example, for me, a, a few years ago, uh, I had a really bad back. It was a physical injury, um, but at that particular time, it was also um, a season of real stress. And I think as a church, we were in something of a spiritual battle at that time. So my physical symptoms were probably made worse um, by those other issues that were going on. And it made the recovery much longer. Um, 
actually probably recovery took almost a year. Whereas in contrast, um, I aggravated that injury uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it only took me a few days to recover. So what I'm saying is that not all sickness or mental illness, for example, is spiritual, but we are both physical and spiritual beings. That's how God's made us. And as a whole person, we can be exposed to or influenced by dark spiritual forces that can affect our physical, emotional and mental well-being. Equally, the physical can affect the spiritual. So engaging with objects, activities or places that are associated with evil can open us up to unclean spirits that can get a foothold in our lives. So things like Ouija boards or tarot cards are objects to avoid and ongoing patterns of sin in our lives need to be confessed and repented of in order to break their hold in our lives. Perhaps the best illustration of the reality of a spiritual dimension is when Frodo puts on the one ring. Um, I think it happens at Weathertop if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and he physically disappears and his perception shifts to a more spiritual realm. So he can see the ring race as they really are as spiritual beings. Now, that's just an analogy, but it's a helpful way to recognise that there is a physical reality, what we can see before us, and there is an unseen spiritual reality. And the devil wants us to either underestimate the existence and power of evil spiritual forces or give them too much credence. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the, the devils or what he, what he means is, or the power of evil spiritual forces. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. If you're from a Western nation uh, listening to this, I want to encourage you to have an open mind as we read now from Mark's Gospel. The Bible isn't an English book, it's an ancient Middle Eastern book. It's also the Word of God and useful to teach and instruct us. So we're going to read together from Mark chapter 5 starting at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, 
What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed. Now, actually a better translation there is demonized. Um, so they saw the man who had been demonized by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demonized man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were freaked out. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demonized begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it is powerful to change us. I ask that you would speak powerfully through your word today and that as we sit under your word, that we would experience your rule, authority and power in our lives. Amen. So what's this account about? Well, it is another revelation for us of who Jesus is. It's about a helpless, tormented man who encounters the living God and is set free. And yet, where most people would run from this tortured and terrifying person, Jesus comes close. He isn't scared or intimidated. In fact, he crashed through cultural barriers to reach this man. Jesus and his disciples had crossed the Sea of Galilee from the western shores where Jesus had grown up amongst the Jewish people in Israel and they'd crossed to the eastern shore and the pagan land of ten cities called the Decapolis. This was unholy Gentile territory. The Jewish people weren't even supposed to associate with Gentiles and Jesus was known as a rabbi, a respected teacher. This was also pig farming land. Jews were forbidden from eating pigs because they were unclean animals. Now I think we're all glad that that Old Testament law uh, doesn't apply to us anymore. Um, and thirdly, uh, Jesus had come to this place full of tombs. 
in, again, in his culture, following the Old Testament law, if you even touched a dead body, you were unclean, ceremonially unclean, for seven days. Despite all these barriers and taboos, Jesus comes close to this man. In verses three and four, it seems that this man had supernatural physical strength because of evil spirits or demonic forces. So it says, no, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Despite being chained like a wild animal, nothing and no one could hold him. That word for subdue literally means tame him. Then in verse five, uh, we're told night and day amongst the tombs, he's crying out and self-harming with stones. It's, it's a pretty scary and intimidating picture. I imagine the disciples getting behind Jesus thinking, you go first, Jesus. Um, all they see is a rabid, raving man with otherworldly strength. Yet Jesus sees the person who is suffering terribly and he comes close. And the man, rather than attacking Jesus, he runs, he falls on his feet before Jesus and shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what happened to this man or how he'd got in such a terrible state. Maybe awful things had happened to him. Maybe he'd been horribly abused. Maybe he'd got involved with things he shouldn't have. But he's ended up cut off from his community isolated and alone in the wilderness amongst the tombs. That's one of the worst things that can happen to you, especially if you're really suffering, to be cut off from other people. Yet Mark doesn't give us any background because that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what Jesus is going to do. And Mark wants to put the spotlight on Jesus' power and authority. Jesus had asked the man his name. Again, it shows Jesus' compassion. I care about who you are, not what is tormenting you. But rather than the man answering, actually it seems like the evil spirits answer. In verse nine, they say, my name is Legion, for we are many. A Roman legion consisted of something like 6,000 soldiers. So there are many evil spirits. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of them tormenting this poor man. His life is literally pandemonium. That word pandemonium uh, first comes up in Paradise Lost um, and is the name of the capital of hell. Pan means all and demonium. It's saying like all the demons. Colloquially, 
For us, pandemonium means noisy uproar, chaos and disorder, which is exactly what this man's life looked like. He's overcome by evil spirits. He'd been chained spiritually and often physically for years. He was oppressed by demons, enslaved, tortured. To me, this is almost like a picture of hell, a terrible window into what an eternity cut off from God would look like. Yet these demons know that they have no power before Jesus. In verse 7, they pleaded not to be tortured. In verse 10, they beg not to be sent out of the area. And they beg for a third time in verse 12 to be sent into the pigs. Now, what is going on here? I have to hold my hands up and say I'm not entirely sure. But the important thing is that the demons or unclean spirits are under Jesus's authority. Mark clearly points out in verse 13 that Jesus gave permission for them to go into the pigs. The unclean and demonic spirits are sent into unclean animals who fall into the sea and drown. This is a picture of what will one day happen to the devil and all his legions after Jesus returns. It says in Revelation, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Just before uh, this section that we've read in Mark, Jesus had calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And the, G and the disciples say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples aren't sure who he is, but these evil spirits know who Jesus is. They addressed him in verse seven as the son of the most high God. This demonstrates Jesus' supremacy over all things, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean, pure and impure, holy and unholy. God's sovereign power over evil, bringing order and calm in the face of chaos and pandemonium. Jesus comes to unclean, unholy, tortured and tormented people and Jesus brings freedom. I want to speak to you for a moment if this passage is making you feel worried. Uh, you may even be sat here feeling gripped with fear. You may be really concerned. Well, let me reassure you, you are not possessed by the devil or by evil spirits. You may be affected by them. You may be influenced by them, even afflicted by them. But if you call Jesus your Lord and Saviour, then ultimately you belong to him. Evil spirits can affect anyone, whether you're a Christian or not. It's just about whether we uh, give them, we open a door or give them a foothold in our lives. So how do evil spirits gain a foothold in people's lives? 
when someone gives themselves over to sin or when they're repeatedly sinned against or exposed to some kind of evil, then it can open a door to the enemy and to evil spirits. Now, we don't need to be fearful, but we do need to be real about the reality of this stuff. And I think many of us don't feel particularly well equipped in this whole area. So let me make a few comments that I hope will help us. Often when evil spirits show themselves, they are very noisy and disruptive. So in a little while, um, when we pray for people, there may be some noise. Sometimes people cry or laugh or cry out and it can seem a little bit scary, but that's just because um, God is meeting with people and ministering to them. Um, and evil spirits are, uh, if they're there, uh, which let's not expect that every person has an evil spirit, nothing like that at all. But where they do present themselves, uh, often they're just trying to intimidate and scare people and make them fearful. So we need to not focus on that. We need to stay calm and confidently pray in Jesus' name. Jesus gave his own disciples authority um, to drive out demons and to pray for sickness to go. And he's given us as Christians authority to pray as well. Remember, we don't want to give the devil and his demons too much attention. We need to be wise that they are real and that they have power, but they have no power whatsoever that can rival Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. He's the Messiah who breaks chains and frees those who are captive. So when we pray uh, in a few minutes, you can confess to God anything that you think may have given the enemy a foothold in your life. Confess whatever it is. Um, repent, as Andy said last week. Turn right around and walk away from those things. Um, ask Jesus to forgive you and tell him you're not going to go that way again. Then you can speak out the lordship of Jesus. You might want to say, Jesus is Lord. It's often good to specifically reject anything that you're particularly aware of. For example, you might want to say, I reject the power of fear over me in Jesus' name. Or if you're praying with someone else, um, you might pray, I break the power of secret sin and addictive behavior in, Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, you might want to ask someone uh, to pray with you uh, to commit your life to Jesus. If all the things that I'm telling you are true, which I believe they are, um, without Jesus, you are vulnerable uh, as an unbeliever. You're vulnerable to the devil's lies and the power of evil spirits. Those might even have been the things that have kept you from coming to church, knowing the truth or believing in Jesus. Let me speak to you directly for a moment. Like this poor, wretched man 
that we've been reading about in Mark 5, Jesus was also despised and rejected. We'll, we'll read about it later in Mark. He was wrongly accused, even though he'd done nothing wrong. And on the cross, like this man who'd been demonized, Jesus was naked. He was bleeding and he was crying out. And he died on the cross to set us free from sin and the power of evil. Jesus has won the victory by rising from the dead, conquering sin and death. So now we can speak with authority in his name, just like he sent out the disciples with authority. And no one is too far gone for Jesus. So you might be thinking, well, this is fine for all these people. Everyone I know who's following Jesus, they're sorted. Well, first of all, we're not all sorted. And secondly, there's nothing too bad or, or too wretched that Jesus can't deal with it. The man uh, Mark tells us about uh, was, in a was probably in as bad a state as you could be in. And Jesus set him free. And Jesus can bring freedom to you too. He has a power that none can challenge. In John 8, 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So uh, the pig farmers uh, run off and report what happened. And people came from all over um, to see. And in verse 15, uh, we read, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demonized by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were scared. What is this? What? You, you know, no one, no one could hold him down. Even loads of people couldn't control him. We tried chaining him. And here he is. He's saying he's himself what has gone on they were almost more fearful of jesus and jesus's power than they had been of this poor tormented man and and they're so scared that in verse 17 they beg jesus to leave and the man now in his right mind he begs jesus to go with him but jesus unlike he gave permission for the evil spirits to go into the pigs he doesn't give this man permission to go with him. Why not? You think he'd be a great disciple. You know, take him with you, Jesus. He can, he can give his testimony before you preach. Jesus doesn't do that. He tells him to go home and share the good news. And that's what Jesus does with us as well. Jesus sends us out to share the good news just like he sent the man. He, he doesn't uh, let the man stay with him and he doesn't want us to stay in our nice, cosy, comfortable church bubble. When we gather on Sundays, we gather to Jesus and with one another to worship him, to hear from his word, but then we go out on mission and your, your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, Everywhere you go, that is your mission field. And we can help 
to bring the kingdom of God. We can help bring freedom to other people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have authority to bring freedom, to speak to sickness and command it to go in Jesus' name, to speak to evil spirits and say go in Jesus' name. And later on, we read about the impact uh, this man's story had. Mark 7 Verse 31, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis, what we've read about in chapter 5. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. There were obviously people just a couple of chapters later, I don't know how long that was, um, who had come to faith because of what Jesus had done in this man's life. In faith, they brought the man who was deaf and almost couldn't speak, and Jesus healed him. God's kingdom was now coming to Gentile people outside Israel because of this man. Don't underestimate the power of your story. God wants to use you to reach other people. He wants your family, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbours and anyone else that you meet to know what he's done in your life. And the point is, for anyone, there's always hope with Jesus. However demonised someone is, however addicted, however sinful or sinned against, Jesus can set you free. If you come to him, he will come close. He will bring freedom and he will catch you up on his mission and he will work through you to bring good news and freedom to people around you. So, as I finish, I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your compassion for people. I thank you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Right now, I speak to every unclean spirit, every evil and demonic spirit, any spiritual force that has an ungodly hold on my brothers and sisters. And I say, go now in Jesus' name. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, break the power right now of strongholds of fear, strongholds of the occult, the demonic or abusive activity of witchcraft, generational curses or anything else unclean. Come now, Lord Jesus, and set people free. Bring complete and total freedom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives and in this church. Jesus, and then come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Wash us clean and draw us near to you. Let us live in your glorious presence. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.